in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Two brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, John Flack and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Hello, welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We're here to watch some movies, then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest. I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, John Flack. John, how are you doing today? I'm great. How about yourself? I am excited. I'm so excited. I can't fight it. Can you hide it? No, I don't know that I want to. <laughs> you know well, why, why I'm so excited? You know why I'm so excited? Because we have a great guest today. For our show record three times now, the Three Timers Club, we have Chad Robinson joining us today. Chad, say hello to the people. Hello, people. So, if you guys aren't familiar with Chad yet, he is our horror movie enthusiast and one of our go-tos. He sees a lot of movies. He's not just a horror guy, but uh, this is your ground zero for, uh, this is your favorite spot, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, Chad, before we get going, just want to ask you a few questions, being that it's Halloween time. Uh, actually, tell people what we have planned for this weekend. Oh, man. So we are going to one of these extreme haunted house experiences. Uh, it's local in Pittsburgh uh, by Scare House. It's called The Basement. Had to sign a waiver that I'll be submitted to being restrained, possibly blindfolded, treated to water and electrical shocks. Like, this seems, uh, this will be have an a interesting experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And what are we doing before that? Uh, we are going to have a movie marathon of scary movies that I hope to introduce to you and your lovely wife. I I'm, I can't wait. Don't spoil for what it is yet. I, I still, I, you know, I, I'm very spoiler adverse, so let me know. So what is your favorite Halloween memory? Probably scaring little kids when I was a teenager. A group of us in the neighborhood, we'd gotten too old for trick-or-treating, so my parents put me in charge of handing out the candy. We would dress up. A couple of us would hide in the bushes or fake being dead in the lawn. People would think we were a decoration. We'd pop out and we'd scare the kids that were old enough to scare. That was a lot of fun. Chad scares children. You heard it here first. Um <laughs> Uh, Tremors is our movie today. Uh, jumping ahead just a second, but uh, being that I gotta ask you, do you have any great bug stories? Like, what's your worst bug story? Uh. So I, I was kind of infamous, I guess, uh, during my junior high and high school years of doing anything for a quick buck, and one of my friends paid me to consume a woolly bear caterpillar, and I did. It, uh, it was $5 that I would give back. That, uh, that was a pretty terrible experience. Did you chew it? I don't. I actually wasn't there for this particular one. I heard about it afterwards. But um, did, you, uh, did you chew it? No. No, straight down. Okay. Good call on that. Uh, so what, what, what did it taste like or was it just a bunch of fuzz? 
just badness. Uh, Bear Grylls didn't offer any advice. I need to ask him what the proper way is to eat those things. But just, just horrid, <laughs> indescribable I, nastiness. I should clarify that Chad would eat anything for money. I don't think he would do just about anything for money. If I'm not mistaken, it was mostly food-related or eating challenges. So Yes, terrible cocktails that you guys came up with. Snorting pixie sticks. I was, uh, I was that kid. It was like the scene out of Freaks and Geeks. Um, at this point, I got to ask you: You see any movies lately? I have. Last night, I saw the new Halloween movie. I'd been really excited. The previews looked great. I was excited to erase some of the uh, canon of the old Halloween movies. Uh, I got to be honest; I didn't like it as much as I thought I would. I thought the atmosphere just wasn't the same as the original it's definitely not a bad movie i just i had it so hyped it let me down a little um my my favorite in theater halloween movie right now is hellfest i would actually recommend seeing that over the new halloween but it's still enjoyable if you're hyped about it i haven't done hellfest but i did do uh halloween 2018 uh, i guess that's what we call it now uh but uh, I, I liked it a little more than Chad did, so I, I am going to recommend people go out there and see it. But um, so uh, still worth seeing, though, right? Oh, absolutely. If you're a Halloween fan, that's a must. And it's it's one of the best sequels uh, for that franchise. Yeah. Yeah. OK, John, we're ready to uh, we're ready to get into the movie now. What, what, what's our movie again? Our movie is Tremors. From 1990. That's right, Trimmers. We get it grossed 16.6 million dollars. It came in 71st in the box office in 1990. It came uh, placed ahead of Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, and it placed behind Death Warrant. Uh, and IMDb gives it a 7.2. The critics of Rotten Tomatoes give it 85%, and the audience score gives it 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, my numbers are from Box Office Mojo, so if I'm wrong, blame them. Uh, it is also worth noting that this is not a real big fit or the big hit in the theaters. It did fit into the theaters. I don't know why I said fit. Um, and it became a bigger hit on the home video market, and it uh, ultimately tripled its original box office gross with VHS sales and rentals. So um, word grew slowly that this was a fun movie. So. Uh, as we get into Tremors, John, had you seen it before? What were your thoughts coming in? Uh, what were your expectations and background? Well, I originally saw it. I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I was in elementary school, probably in uh, roughly probably about 10 or so. Uh, and I caught it on TV. Uh, I didn't really know much about it. My brother and I saw it, and we loved it. Uh, it was had all, all the elements that a kid that age kind of wants. It was funny. It had it was kind of scary. Uh, it had Kevin Bacon, lots of guns. But so for me, this is kind of a classic. So coming into it, I was just excited to, to watch it again. And it, it had been quite some time since I'd seen it. Chad, what were your experiences with uh, Tremors? Had you seen it before? What were you thinking coming in? Yeah, I've seen it before. Like John, I, I think I may have gotten to it a couple years later, but I was still fairly young. Uh, I remember not really being enamored with this series. A bunch of my friends were very excited. You know, Tremors had already kind of had that cult following uh, with our 
our group. Um, I was just hoping with this rewatch that something would click with me, that I'd get it. Because like, like John's already addressed, this really is a cult classic. It spawns six movies, and they're trying to get a TV show working. So it, it's got a following. It does. And uh, I did not get this one until way later than you guys did, apparently. I got to it, gosh, I was out of college at this point. I'm thinking it was probably 2010 was the first time I saw Tremors. I didn't. I had definitely seen it in the in the rental stores before, but I just walked past it thinking it was a, a more heavy monster movie. And as a young person, I wasn't into horror movies, so um, I definitely got it off a of TV, and then uh, I loved it. It was so funny, and uh, a good time was had. So I advanced to watching Tremors two, which I really enjoyed. Three, I enjoyed not a lot, and then four is so much fun. And so in preparing for this, I went to buy the movie, which is an honor because I don't buy every movie. But um, I bought the six-pack, and I didn't even know there were six. I thought it stopped at four. So I'm looking very forward into continuing my rewatch path and uh, extending it to some new grounds. So I'm, I'm excited to see what, what lies ahead still. So, But I love it. Before we go into it too far, let's pause, and we're going to have a message from a very, very professional. We have a, we have a sponsor. This is pretty exciting, uh, John. We have spokesperson Kent Greaves. He's here to tell us about some wonderful products. So That sounds exciting. Kent Greaves here to ask, do you want to save time in the kitchen? Of course you do. Well, then, we have the perfect thing for you. It's the Retro Movie Roundtable Podcast. It slices, dices, juices, purees, poaches, fries, boils, broils, tenderizes, vacuum seals, self-cleans, and shares the experiences of great movies. It even has a flan setting. Too good to be true? Well, it is. How does it work? Simply put it in your ears while working in the kitchen, and your cooking experiences will be dramatically improved. Yes, it's that simple. To order more Retro Movie Roundtable for your household, go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other place where you get your podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review, and comment on the show. Tell them how to make the show better, if that's even possible. Compare it to other kitchen devices by giving the show a like on Facebook and writing the show at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. Act now, and for a limited time, we will give you two episodes of Retro Movie Roundtable for the price of one. It's that easy. What are you waiting for? The Retro Movie Roundtable is not a kitchen device and does not do most of the previously mentioned tasks. There is not a flaw in setting, but there is a great listen while you're working in the kitchen and will improve your cooking experiences. Do not let this offer pass you by. The Retro Movie Roundtable makes a great gift for your friends, family, or that weird quiet guy at the office. Do not delay. Act now. Retro Movie Roundtable. That seems pretty good to me. I like sponsors. Yeah. So order your own Retro Movie Roundtable for your home. So <laughs> Yes, please. It's very round. <laughs> at this point, we want to warn everybody that there are spoilers that lie ahead. So if you haven't seen the movie before, I recommend you stop, watch the movie, come back and listen to this episode with that chad do you want to take us uh guest honor and give us the plot summary sure thing does a movie about giant killer underground worms starring kevin bacon the dad from family ties and reba mcintyre sound like a good time to you then you're in for a treat with trimmers the movie opens up with Kevin Bacon's character Val urinating into a canyon to perfectly set the bar for what your expectations for this movie should be. Val and his buddy Earl are two handymen working in the middle of nowhere known as Perfection, Nevada. They get bored with their jobs and set out to the nearest town only to find a crispy fried resident on top of a tower on their way. Heading back into town to ask questions, the two friends stumble on the head of a farmer and his slaughtered sheep. They're convinced this is the work of a serial killer until they are attacked by a worm-like creature. The underground creature is killed in a chase when it slams into a concrete wall. 
A Mousy graduate student named Rhonda Lebec is conveniently in perfection studying seismology, starts assisting the boys in tracking the worms via the tremors, get it, that they make while they're moving. The three are chased onto some rocks until Rhonda figures out the worms can't see and that they hunt by sound and vibrations. She suggests pole vaulting to safety to avoid making sound because obviously a pole hitting the ground makes no noise nor vibration. They, however, safely escape in their truck. The group returns to Chang's general store, but are once again attacked by the worms, now referred to as Graboids, because the name Landshark was taken by SNL. Seriously, look it up. The surviving residents that unfortunately include annoying teenager Melvin work together to kill off the Graboids one by one with local rednecks, the Gummers, killing one in their basement slash armory, and another being killed by swallowing a pipe bomb attached to a fishing pole. A final showdown with the smartest graboid, Stumpy, and Val takes place in the nearby canyon where Val leaps out of the way at the last minute and the graboid careens off the cliff and dies. The town is saved, Val gets the girl, and Reba McIntyre gets her contractually obligated song rolling for the credit sequence. <laughs> well said, well said. John, take us down and walk through the uh, casting rundown. Okay, well, we have Kevin Bacon as Valentine McKee, our younger of our two protagonists, uh, who is the slightly less experienced, only slightly. Fred Ward as Earl Bassett, our older, more experienced of the two main protagonists. Uh, Finn Carter as our scientist and seismologist, Rhonda Lebec, who is also the love interest of Valentine. Michael Gross as Bert Gummer, our survivalist NRA gun-toting kind of anti-hero, and Reba McIntyre as Heather Gummer, Bert's wife. Bobby Jacoby as Melvin Plug, uh, the obnoxious kid that Chad so lovingly referred to. Charlotte Stewart as Nancy Sterngood, a local townswoman uh, who has a daughter played by Ariana Richards as Mindy Sterngood, uh, Tony Gennaro as Miguel, a local rancher, and Richard Marcus as Nestor Cunningham, another local uh, in the town who is at Wong's shop, and Victor Wong as Walter Chang, who is the entrepreneuring shop owner of the town. Well done, well done. Uh, good cast there. I, I liked it. Uh... Not a lot of big, big names at the time, but uh, Kevin Bacon went on to be bigger. So, Yeah, by this time, he'd already had Footloose. This was Reba McIntyre's first movie, though. Yes, and uh, I think it's worth pointing out that Arianda Richards, as John pointed out, too, uh, you know, she, was, she grows up to be the girl in Jurassic Park who's trying to get away from the raptors. So. Yep, she is Lex, and then she goes on to go back to Tremors 3. So that's a fun <laughs> career arc and Michael Gross coming directly off of Family Ties yep yeah, I love it I love it so let's talk about the film creation here a little bit uh, let's let's talk about the plot and the screenplay here for just a second uh, I see that uh, S.S. Wilson got the idea for the film while he was working for the U.S. Navy in California in the desert uh, you know he was on a rock himself and he found himself wondering if something were under the ground and that would get him on the rock and so it's just kind of fun how this guy's imagination which we've all imagined this stuff around at least I do um, 
you know, you make little mental games with yourself uh, that he turned it into a screenplay. So that's pretty cool. Uh, what do we think about the story, Chad? I mean, let's face it. Tremors is pretty much the adult version of The Floor is Lava that we all played as a kid. Um, it's just stay off the desert. Don't make a sound. I actually see a lot of the stay still, don't make a sound played out in Jurassic Park later on, which is interesting because we have young Lex here in our movie. Yeah, Ariana Richards has got a good uh, repertoire of uh, run and uh, also stand still and don't make a sound. So she's, uh, she's well-versed <laughs> in those two things. Uh, John, uh, what do you think about the story? Well, I, I think Chad kind of nailed it on the head. I mean, all things considered, it's well done and well thought out, but let's not think that this is a deep type of plot. It's basically just your fun scares of, I, I like how Chad referred to it as stay, stay off the lava. Like it's just basically a lot of instances of getting from one top of something to some, another top of something and what to figure out how to get to the next top of something. So you're not standing on the ground. Yeah, I mean, I think that it is well-written because it tips its hat to other movies that had gone before it. Um, I think Ron Underwood, the director, uh, kind of thought of this as a 1950s monster movie that he was making in 1990, in a, where, uh, which was not the common path for movies of this uh, genre at this time. So he brought the sense of levity to the situation uh, even though the mantra itself is kind of scary, uh, it would be in other context, but it's because it's framed in such a humorous way. You have fun characters, and uh, it turns into a fun adventure. Um, I don't know. What do, what, do you, what do you guys think on that one, Chad? Yeah, especially, uh, I feel like the music really backs up your point of this adventure-style movie for for Val and for Earl. Um it is all about fun. The The movie never really gets too serious. And I, I don't necessarily feel like it succeeds on being scary or really being funny. It's kind of in the middle for me. But it, it is fun above all else. And it never forgets that. I, I would uh, I might say that tone, tonally, this movie shares a lot with Ghostbusters in terms of uh, the amount of, you know, the tone being humorous, you know, having monsters in play, but, you know, we're here to have a good time, first and foremost. Um, John, what do you feel about, like, the overall feel of the movie? I I, I really like it. I, I agree that I think that with Chad, that the music, I think, kind of, it has this fun tone to it and just kind of racy. It seems to fit. And it, it just immediately, in the movie, you're, you're having fun. You have likable characters, uh, that are, I mean, it's a small town type of setting, but it's just, you kind of feel like they're kind of stuck in nowhere. They're trying to get out, but they're not really trying to get out. And, uh, it's just, it, it's playful enough, but scary enough. And it, it really does a very good balance of doing that in my mind. Did it remind anyone of Blazing Saddles listening to the soundtrack this go around? A little bit. Yeah. Now that you mention it. I, I was actually trying to think of a movie that I could compare it to. That might be it. That's fair. I mean, I, I my mind didn't go there, but yeah, uh, now that you said it, I, I certainly would make the association, yeah. Um, 
I thought one thing that I, I did like in terms of the storytelling was uh, they don't just jump right into it, uh, you know, which was, uh, I may touch base with, put a pin on that and uh, come back to uh, the deleted scene that they edited out. But um, I like how the beginning of this movie gets you a feel for these two guys who are just handymen and they're in a kind of, uh, they're in a rut in this tiny rural town and they're just handymen, and they they both want more. And, uh, you know, they don't give you their whole life's backstory, but they get a pretty good feel for who these two guys are. And uh, I, what they're doing is they're setting up unlikely heroes. And, like, these are not the guys who you want to hang all your hopes on the town on. Uh, you know, they're the guys who hang barbed wire on a fence post. Exactly. And I think that it does like show who they are without having to really show much background. It's like, I'm not going to say they have like harebrained schemes, but it seems like I, I do like that Fred Ward is often telling him, it's like, you just don't think ahead. And clearly he's not very much thinking ahead either. Uh, they're kind of living from moment to moment, but they're very likable uh, leads in my mind. Yeah. Their chemistry is really off the charts. I, you get the sense that they've been friends for a long time. They're not just coworkers. Yeah, I'm yeah. Like, I mean, the rock, paper, scissors stuff. Oh, just their banter. It's pretty great. Does Valentine win any rock, paper, scissors matchups with Earl? He does. The only one he wins is on the roof. Um, or, yeah, he wins the one on the roof, uh, but then decides to take the tractor anyways. Oh, somehow he went, and I just assumed he lost and went for it. But I, uh, yeah, in this last time I watched it, I didn't catch that somehow. I always, I just noticed it was like, uh, Valentin McKee is the world's worst rock, paper, scissors player. He loses three out of four. That's the only one he won, and then he made the, the hero's choice. So d- does that mean you're like the unluckiest player or can you literally be bad at rock paper scissors i don't know i i, I kind of think of it as being like uh i'm really bad at tiktok toe i've uh my record is two and 22 <laughs> i keep losing what do you think these guys uh backstory here is they, they don't tell us have you noticed like fred ward's a good bit older than kevin bacon isn't it kind of interesting like he's not um it's kind of interesting. It's not like a mentor uh, approach, but on the other hand, he's always trying to give him like love advice and stuff like that. Um, what was that dynamic like? Did you think? Yeah, I just look at it as an older friend looking out for his younger friend. He's he's trying. He Fred Ward see, sees himself as uh, well. His character sees himself as uh, wiser and. Uh, more familiar with the way the world works, even though that may not necessarily be true. And Kevin Bacon's just this young, naive guy uh, who's got the world in front of him. So Earl's Earl's trying to be a good friend and and show him the right way. Yeah, there's a 16-year age difference in the actors. Not that the actor's age equals what it is in the movie, but I actually like the fact that it, uh, somehow it was an unexpected set of friends. And I think what... I got out of that was that uh, it's a small town, population 14, I think they say later. Uh, but, uh, you know, you don't get your pick of the litter for who to be friends with. Uh, hopefully you get along with everybody in town pretty well. Yeah, and it, it, clearly they all kind of know each other pretty well. But these two are just probably kind of guys that they didn't really have specific, you know, pr- professions in line and 
maybe they, I, I guess in my mind, maybe they just kind of met because they were both kind of odd job workers and maybe they could do it better as a team, they realized. And that's how their friendship kind of blossomed. I was actually thinking about uh, Chad's comparison with City Slickers. That, that was what you compared it to, right? Blazing Saddles, but Blazing yeah, Saddles. City Slickers is another. City Slickers one. is something was I kind of thought of too. Um, you did say Blazing Saddles. Now, uh, I was looking over the director's other works here. Uh, I'm going to go through some of Ron Underwood's movies to get a feel for who he is. Uh, Deer in the Works in 1980, Tremors 1990. So this is his second direction, exp- uh, you know, experience there. Uh, City Slickers in 1991, uh, that goes pretty well for him. But then uh, Heart and Souls uh, 1993, Speechless in 94, Mighty Joe Young the remake in 98, The Adventures of Pluto Nash in 2002. These things are trending down if you hadn't noticed. Uh, <laughs> st- Stealing Sinatra in 2003 and In the Mix in 2005. So. Uh, you know, really seemed to be on the rise with a, a smaller movie here in Tremors and hits it hits it big with City Slickers, but um, yeah, kind of kind of hovers and then stumbles uh, throughout his career. Um, at least in the early going here, though, I actually like what he does. I, I I didn't think this movie had a lot of fat on it. I thought the tone was good. I thought he got uh, the right people in the right seats and let him go. I mean, uh, you know, we were talking about Reba there a second ago. I don't get the vibe that this is her first movie. And, uh, you know, I, I like Chad was saying, the chemistry between Fred Ward and uh, Kevin Bacon was awesome. Uh, Michael Gross uh, was still so serious, you know, like he's funny. I mean, what do we think of Ron Underwood as a director, John? Um, I mean, in this particular instance, I mean, they kind of touched on it all, all, already. But uh, in my mind, it's kind of hard to it's really difficult to balance the lighthearted tone and a scary movie aspect of something. And I think he did a wonderful job of assembling the right cast, particularly our two leads who have, we've noted have really great chemistry with it. Um, and really just kind of making kind of a scary movie that we're really just having fun the whole time. I agree. I agree. And I, but Chad, you said you don't think the tone was funny enough or scary enough. Why do you feel like it was caught in the ground and in the middle ground? Tell me more about your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of B movies. I, I like horror movies that are trending more towards the side of funny critters, piranha 3d. Um, even some of the, kind of raunchier ones like Zombievers or something dumb like that. Uh, this one, I just, it, the creatures themselves to me were never very scary. They were never very, um, like, dread, provided a sense of dread. Maybe that's because the music was so kind of whimsical. But, uh, and the characters themselves, well, some of the, the ways they interacted with each other were funny. It wasn't anything that was just laugh out loud. Like there are scenes in Critters or Gremlins that will make me laugh every single time. Uh, it just doesn't happen with Tremors. So uh, you're saying two awkward uh, blonde dudes from uh, outer space uh, going around and being confused by Earth conventions would make this movie better. Yeah, we need some synthesizer in here. Um, and they need to have more eighties rock references, I guess. It's not the eighties anymore, Chad. It's 1990. 
that's fine. You can still do it. If you're if you're not picking up on the uh, hostility there, Russell's not a huge fan of '80s music. Chad is. Hey, we can go to uh, uh, "Twas the Night Ranger Before Christmas" coming to Pittsburgh in a couple weeks. Mm-mm, no, mm-mm, not going to that. <laughs> but that's a that's a that's a hard mm-mm, mm. three head shakes. Uh, <laughs> so. I uh I I did like it. Like I said, I, I said it was kind of akin to Ghostbusters, and so I, I at no point took this thing as being too funny. And uh, it's interesting that uh, we're kind of skipping ahead by going to the music a little bit now. But uh, what is it? So what is it about the country music that isn't doing it for you? So you want tension built? Is that is that what you're looking for? I think I'd go with even more ridiculous. The, the music was one of the high points for me. It's just the, the characters' interactions. The, there's, they act funny, but it's just not, uh, I don't know, it just doesn't hit it off with me. But yeah, the, the music is great. They have some kind of irreverent music. There's really, there's a song at one point called Drop Kick Me Jesus Through the Goalposts of Life. I mean, you can't get any less serious than that. Nope. Ow. I didn't that know guy, that was a song title. That guy won a Grammy. <laughs> I, I kind of want to, you know, if you were just read that title off to me, I'd be like, yeah, I want to hear that song. I need to know more about this. <laughs> so, I could, go ahead. I could not believe that was a real thing. Like, I, I looked it up. I'm like, no, this this has to be the internet messing with me, even though everything on the internet is true. This actually was true, so you win again, internet. All that crafty internet. <laughs> uh, one thing I thought that was really interesting is uh, Gail Ann Hurd, the producer of this, uh, had ties to Terminators 1 and 2, the Aliens, The Abyss, Armageddon, a lot of, a lot of heavy action movies, uh, sci-fi, uh, scary movies, and uh, it's kind of interesting that she went and did Tremors here, which is not nearly the budget of these other movies, and isn't the tone of other works in her career. What do you th- like that? That I don't know if you guys noticed that, but that's a that's a really odd uh, credit to claim. And in fairness, I think it's worth mentioning in there. I I love it that much. I I, I would put it in there with those other ones. It's a head scratcher for me. I mean, yeah. you look at you look at those, and they're true horror movies. I mean, Aliens is a little more action oriented, but she it was the original Terminator, I believe, which was a little bit more on the horror side, sci-fi horror. Yeah, and she did one and two, and even three. Oh, well, she should have stopped at two then. <laughs> um. Well, there's a consistency of directors, you know, that being worked with there too. But I, maybe it's just she saw opportunity, or I don't know. Yeah, let's talk about the uh, the atmosphere of this. What do we think about Perfection Nevada? Population fourteen, assumed present day. I, I, I from what I can take it, John. I mean, I, I think it's you know picked very well. Uh, it, it's clearly in the desert you know, kind of middle of nowhere. I love that the town is called perfection where it's kind of seemingly far from perfect. Uh, it really gives you a feel right away that the people that live there, they 
for the most part, don't have any intentions of going anywhere except for our two unlikely heroes. Uh, and really, the only opportunities that it offers for outsiders is apparently construction, road construction work, and scientific study. Uh, but, you know, good good location, you know, nice mountains, this, you know, Sierra Nevadas, basically. But it gives us a good feel of they're, they're very isolated from everybody. I myself am not a huge fan of the uh, desert landscape, so I would not want to live in perfection. Uh, but uh, what say you, Chad? Yeah, I'll echo a lot of the sentiments John uh, pointed out. They did a great job of just establishing this close-knit, isolated community and the feel of being out in the middle of nowhere. I think that's one thing that kind of contributes to the horror elements of this movie is there's, there's nowhere to really run. These things control the desert, and the closest town is Bixby, and you get the idea that Bixby is not remotely close. To one, them. Uh, one road in, one road out. Yeah. Yeah, which gets collapsed later on. So Isolated but, on the mountains on two sides. Got a cliff, got cliffs to the other side. Hint, hint, those cliffs will come in handy later. Yeah. So, but yeah, that, that, that feeling of isolation, I think it's definitely intentional. And, uh, you know, the desert's not a place you want to be stuck. Um, well, I think it was interesting. There, uh, this entire town was constructed. So they actually went out in the desert and they uh, built it. And uh, it's actually filmed in Lone Pine, California. So it's not Nevada. But uh, there are uh, they are Sierra Mountains in the distance. Um, so they built the whole town up and they completely tore it down and took it with them afterwards. Yeah. And I actually did some research on this. Uh, I'm like, does it really make sense for a seismologist to be in Nevada? Did they really get earthquakes? And it turns out there's just a ton of faults that run through Nevada. It doesn't seem like they really get earthquakes, but there's a, uh, a seismic center and research base in Nevada. So kudos to the Tremors research team for uh, doing your homework. I would think that it would be kind of interesting had uh, she implied that this was, she drew the short straw and got stuck going here versus some other interesting places like Hawaii or where their seismologists could go. Uh, I, I like yeah, the, someone got sent to San Francisco and she gets sent to perfection. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really would have liked that as an extra bonus. So, um, you know, most of the people that there aren't as unhappy to be there as Kevin Bacon and uh, Fred Ward or Valentine and Earl. But uh, I, I get their sentiment. It, it definitely they, they play up the dead end road. But one one pair, one couple who are not sad to be here. And I love these guys. I really like these guys are Bert and Heather Gummer. Uh, John, what do you think about this couple? They're fantastic. And I mean, you nailed it on the head. They're there for a reason, as Bert points out in the movie. Uh, it's like he, he likes that feeling of isolation and being surrounded by a certain uh, geological and geographical, you know, t- types of landscapes that really keep him safe, or at least seemingly safe, uh, because he seems to have thought of it all. But they really drive a lot of what this movie is. And obviously, you know, Bert goes on to many sequels, uh, including, if I recall, one of them goes back in time in his lineage. But Oh, yeah, that's the it, fourth one. And I really recommend that one. It's a, it's a Wild West story. Yeah, it, I, it's been so long since I've seen any of the sequels. But, uh, but yeah, no, they're 
just the things they say, th- there's a bit of a dry wit about it, but Bert particularly, I just, I love his character. They had awesome chemistry too. Uh, Chad, what, do you, what, were, what are your takes on uh, Bert and Heather Gummer? Yeah, it was so impressive, even for Reba McIntyre, this being her first movie, like you said, it didn't feel like it. And uh, she just had such a great chemistry with Michael Gross. Uh, they were a believable kind of gun nut uh, couple, you know, driving. If if there had been Hummers around, they would have been driving a Hummer. Uh, as it was, they were just driving this huge truck that said Uzi for you, uh, had that big armory. But but yeah, it was it was very straightforward, very dry humor of just uh, Bert Gummer saying things like, you know, the fuse is for my cannon, of course. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't uh, it, he just seemed like, why wouldn't I own a cannon? Why wouldn't I own this huge arsenal of weaponry? Why and don't you? Seem, yeah, seem confused by everyone else not stocking up like him. I just uh, I, I, the more I see this movie, the more I like these characters. Uh, the first time I watched it, I, I wasn't sure what to make of them. And particularly as I went forward and watching the sequels, I was just like, we're going to do a whole movie with this guy. And maybe it's to the sequels, but I grew to like Bert a lot more. He's just so deadpan serious about like, but like he's intense about like he means every word that he says. And it's it's absolutely ridiculous. And uh, his uh, wife is like keeps him balanced. And uh, but, but she's not that balanced either. So it's it's kind of funny where it's just like. She's a she's a ten on the uh, gun nut like you know conspiracist uh, spectrum, but he's a he's a fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I really wish Reba McIntyre had returned with him to those sequels because uh, he only returns on his own later, and that doesn't necessarily. That's one. I think that's why the first one is for me still by far the best. Um, and then obviously Kevin Bacon doesn't return either going forward. It kind of makes sense. He he finds love and, uh, you know, he moves on to a different life, uh, we assume, with Rhonda. But, uh, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen him back, too. So the next movie is just Fred Ward. Um, so. But this movie made him cry. Made him cry on a sidewalk saying, I'm in a movie about underground worms <laughs> so. <laughs> so yeah what Chad's referring to is kevin bacon didn't understand how much people like myself would love this movie later and uh perhaps he took himself too seriously maybe he uh thought of himself as a great actor after movies like friday the 13th and footloose but um apparently uh he had a, a bit of a breakdown and you know like chad said he cried and like just couldn't believe that he was in this dumb movie about worms underground and uh it might not be uh his most important movie but it's up there for my favorite kevin bacon movies it's it's not it may not be the the top for me but it's it's up there it did warm up to it i mean they've got the tv show that he shot a a pretty awesome trailer for uh it didn't get picked up by sci-fi i'm interested to see if hulu or Netflix or one of those steps in and funds this project. The trailer actually looks really good. Well, it, 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 it treated him pretty well because coming out of this, he gets Flatliners and, um, you know, JFK's the following year, A Few Good Men in 92. So it clearly didn't hurt his career. So if anything, I'd say it helped. Well, I, I mean, 
He has a game named after him, so it can't be that bad. Yep. It's... <laughs> yep. <laughs> to be honest, it's just uh, a, a movie like this. You know, we were too young, obviously. You know, but I, I can see how when it comes out in the theaters, you might be kind of nervous and scared about what it's going to impact, especially when it doesn't do wonderfully theatrically. Uh, but clearly, it worked out well for him in the end. I um. One odd thing about Valentine's character, Kevin Bacon, uh, his, he had like a heart-shaped belt buckle. That was kind of odd, wasn't it? Like he seemed too tough to walk around with a heart-shaped belt buckle. That's his theme. He's looking for love throughout the entire movie. So, and he's too chicken to ask Rhonda out. I, I mean, when he's first going to meet Rhonda, he's laying out his like three hopes for what she's going to be. Yeah, what, Man, was, I, what was that? I felt he, so so bad for uh, Finn Carter because he's talking about he wanted her to be, what was it, tall, leggy, and big chested, and something. Yeah, yeah like he wanted her to have blonde legs, hair, like blonde hair, legs that go on for miles, and yeah. big boobs. Yeah, and then they show Finn Carter. I'm like, this this girl is still pretty beautiful, but she was supposed to be this kind of trombone wah wah like <laughs> this is not who you're looking for i'm glad like, you brought that up because i don't think she was dorky enough to play the dorky part i mean her hair wasn't that like distraught i mean i guess they put her in some uh clothes that look like you would be in the dirt but i mean uh i don't know that she she had uh, sunscreen on her nose when you first meet her but uh she's not very disheveled i, I you know if i were gonna make and like i said i love these characters i've come to love them more with time one that I might adjust a little bit is I might lean a little more into her dorky, uh, lovable nature because, uh, like you mentioned, I mean, she just comes off as being, you know, smarter than they are. And, you know, she's a college girl and uh, or grad student. Or, and um, so. Well, yeah, what, and oh. I, I, I think that there's something about the early 90s and putting sunscreen on your nose to make someone dorky because I don't know if you all remember the TV show Salute Your Shorts. Absolutely. Yeah, the camp counselor. It's like he, to make him more goofy and nerd-like, just let's just slap sunscreen on their nose. It's like, no, these people are being smart. Like, your nose is more exposed to the sun than the rest of your face. Like, no, but do people actually do that? Like put like blue or like white sunscreen, like just like a whole lot of it? Only on your nose? Like, is that I don't a, know. Is that a real strategy? Now I'm just wondering what Donkey Lips is doing these days. <laughs> yes, That's so, a good question. And, and the counselor's name was Ugg. Yes. Ugg. That's it. Yeah. Along with this, like, why couldn't we get the cast of Hey Dude and Trimmers? Get Melody. <laughs> Would be a good crossover, but yeah, I, anyway, going back, a long way back around, uh, I didn't think she was dorky enough. Uh, they didn't even, they didn't even give her, like, the glasses and, like, uh, you know, bad hair that she eventually, uh, you know, removes the ponytail and throws the hair out, and the Kevin Baker's like, oh, she's pretty, that kind of thing. It's cliche, but I like that. So this, uh, this was the Clark Kent is Superman with glasses thing for you. It's still pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this wasn't this wasn't uh, a a shocker that uh, she and Kevin Bacon might be on a, a similar level together. I don't know. I think well, I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. Women like Kevin Bacon, don't they? I don't know. Why are you asking us? <laughs> Chad, tell me. 
Do women like Kevin Bacon? If you were a woman, would you find him sexy? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I just made Chad real uncomfortable, and I'm 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 pleased with myself. Hey, but, Fred Ward's a handsome guy. Kevin Bacon, I don't know. Women, right into this show. Tell us if you find Kevin Bacon attractive. He can dance. We know that. Well, he's a hero to the Guardians of the Galaxy. He's a spaceman. Yeah, he taught an entire town to remove the sticks from their butts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I wonder if Kevin Bacon. I actually would like. I couldn't find any interviews uh, later of him going back and looking back on it. Uh, as Chad mentioned, I, he was sad about being in it at the time, and I hope he. I hope he looks back on it and appreciates how much other people have come to appreciate the movie. Because I'm kind of sad that he didn't uh, appreciate the moment more. Like I said, he's willing to do the new TV show, so I'd say it's warmed up. Oh, is yeah, it? I, I would think at this point he's probably warmed up to the whole idea. What did you guys think about the Graboids themselves? And I'm not talking about the president. Um, I'm talking about uh, the, uh, the the groundworms that go through there. Uh, you know, what do you think about the look of them and how they were presented? I thought that they looked pretty good. I mean, when I was a kid, I, I thought they looked pretty real. I, I had this instance, and I, I hadn't read the book or anything at the time, but I had felt like they'd watched the movie Dune when creating them. But, uh, you know, I, I thought that the effects were good, the slime on the, like, kind of tentacle, you know, parts of the coming out of the mouth, the little mouths. Uh, I thought the effects of it were, were done pretty well and practically, and that's something that I really appreciate. Uh Practical effects, particularly in horror movies, are I'm I'm usually a fan of. Yeah, it takes years for them to be able to pull something like this off, even halfway convincingly. And so, uh, you're going to see this for probably the next 15 years, even 20 years after this movie, where there's a lot of times where they computerize something and maybe they shouldn't have. Because I'll be honest with you, you don't see a lot of the graboids because they're underground, but the tentacles that they put out don't look silly. They're actually covered in slime, and uh, you know. They're they're actual real world things, and they're being puppeteered and put into place. And they actually built a gigantic graboid and then buried it and then uncovered it again. And uh, that's just authenticity, and it, it pays off. Uh, I don't know. Uh, they that's not what makes this movie hokey or whatever uh, funny. It's uh, it's funny because of how it's presented. But actually, when you get into it, the creatures in a different context would kind of be scary. And you mentioned it, Russell, but I, I do like the kind of Jaws approach that they took to this with the monsters. The less is more. You don't see much of Jaws. You don't see much of the Graboids. But when you do, yeah, you and you and John both nailed it. Uh, I'm so glad they went with a life-size puppet, and they only built one. But uh, uh, those puppets are really effective. They look great in 2018. Here we are you know, 28 years later. That's wonderful. I like yeah. the. Oh, go ahead, John. Oh, and I was. I I liked that how how they did it too because they often showed they didn't have to show them, but they'd show them eat something inorganic and then spit it out, and that was just kind of added to the horror factor of of it that, you know, they were looking for pe people or you know live things to eat. I like that they can take a whole car underground, like that scene where like the guy comes after the fact and starts digging in the dirt. And then all of a sudden, like you realize that's the headlight of a car. That was a pretty fun. Again, like I said, you could put some of these things in another movie 
and put some different music around it, change the lighting, change the whole tone of this, and it could have been made to be scary. It wasn't that ridiculous of an idea. It's just how it's presented, and that's that's why I give this movie a lot of credit for just being a whole lot of fun. That car scene to me, uh, it was pretty much the T-Rex Jurassic Park scene for me. Uh, same thing where they're being attacked by the Graboid and they're moving back and forth in the, the vehicle. And I just flash back to the T-Rex attacking the Jurassic Park Jeep with, I think it was Lex was in there at the time. Um, but yeah, very, very familiar. But the headlights, that was a budgetary thing where they, they wound up uh, changing the scene. It was supposed to be more gruesome. But actually, I really like just seeing those headlights flash up in the sky. Yeah, I think that there was some sort of malfunction or flaw with uh, the effect that they were going for and uh, that they had to, to reshoot it. But I I thought it was done really well. So uh, you guys, uh, did you guys like, th- I really liked how they moved. Uh, they shook the camera. They kind of shook the scene a little bit. They uh, they kicked up floorboards. They knocked down walls. Uh, they're, 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 they're actually intelligent creatures. Uh, and I, I, I like that they're not just some... They're not a dumb shark that's just a force that's out there swimming around. They're, they're a good step up from Jaws. They, they know whether you're talking. They know where you're going and stuff like that. So like I said, these you could make the same movie again and actually make it scary. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. Uh, and, you know, you can't help but kind of wonder if these things, like, somehow, and seeing it, it's like if they kind of communicate with each other because they do seem to learn rather quickly. Yeah, they're like demigorgons in uh, Stranger Things or something. Yeah, well, the screamers do, or shriekers. Yeah, that's they, what I mean. Like they they burrow, they communicate, they go underground, and they're they're not that dumb. Because even you know the scene where they try to blow another one up and it spits the little pipe bomb or you know dynamite out. It's almost like it intentionally spat it in their direction. Yeah, it even yep. hit the other bombs and blew up all their bombs except for one, which is the perfect dramatic situation. We're down to one bomb. <laughs> Just one left. And then, um, so I, I like the little steam that they kick up to as they go. So, uh, you know, low budget, but I mean, they, they spent their movie wisely. Uh, again, it, it hit the right amount of fun and funny and and not so it was not unintentionally bad at any point and i think that's what i'm trying to get at um i think i think they they were in control of the tone of the movie and that's why it worked for them uh you guys both talked about the soundtrack a little bit i thought it was interesting that robert folk was brought in at the last minute to rescore the film so approximately 30 minutes of folk score is actually used and he's uncredited uh but it's ernest trotes or troots uh uh, first score that they felt like lacked punch and he was the one that brought in the western sound so Trout had the the fun light-hearted western sound and they brought in uh you know folk to come in oddly enough his name's folk and they brought in the trumpets violins trumpets violins and big instruments and uh they use that more in the climax and intense moments so it's it's actually a mixed uh, mixed score uh, did you notice that john I actually didn't re- really notice it. Maybe it's just because I've been so used to the score since I was a kid. And, uh, you know, I didn't watch tons of horror movies as a kid. And I wasn't exposed to even fewer, like, fun ones outside of ones that were geared to more family stuff. Maybe like Gremlins or something. And, like, but I just remember even 
as a child thinking that the music was just so much fun. Yeah, Chad, Chad, did you pick up on the kind of split nature in the soundtrack, or did it just it, it fit the moment and you didn't notice it because you had the funny when you needed to be funny, and yeah, you had a little bit of the campy tension when you needed that. Yeah, I didn't really pick up on the action scenes. I think I was more focused on you know what was happening on screen than what was happening in the background. Uh, but I I definitely did enjoy the whimsical kind of folksy music uh, that was brought in for just those wide sweeping western type shots uh, and then of course Reba McIntyre in the end shoehorn her song in uh, but it was fun to hear her sing yeah I I was I didn't think it was shoehorned I thought I, I, I loved uh, it was called why not tonight and somehow after the movie I, I mean she's very charming and uh, you know cute in the movie and stuff like that and she makes a big imprint on the movie and somehow I would have been disappointed if we didn't get a Reba song in fact I thought it might have been fun if she could have opened and closed the movie not not in the actual action but given her a second song in the soundtrack just uh, in the opening as well but uh not to complain about the opening song either. The opening song was pretty good, but uh, I just thought, uh, again, first acting performance, she she brought it, and uh, it just shows you that she's just a fun person to be around, it looks like. so. John, Reba McIntyre, good thing, bad thing, indifferent. Uh, Reba McIntyre was a great casting as this being her first role. I mean, I think that she's the weaker of the couple, but that's not by any uh, of her shortcomings. I just think Bert's character is just wonderful. He has some of my favorite lines of the movie. But I meant the music. Uh, you know, I, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, the music. Yeah. The- <laughs> I, 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 I faded out on, on, on you you guys. I just heard Reba McIntyre there at the no, end. No, it's all right. So why not tonight? Did you like the Reba music in the in the setting or more of it, less oh, of it, not at all? Thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> indifferent, really. Just indifferent. Uh, I, I'm not a huge country guy. Like, and it's it, it fits well. I think it's good, but so moving to North I, Carolina I didn't make you make you feel the country music any more than before. Mm, no, I mean, I still like Garth Brooks, like, you know, stuff like that, but that's uh, I maybe a little bit, but not too much. That's fair. That's fair. All right, guys, let's get into look for this. Are there any fun moments or things that you saw in the movie that uh, you wanted to call out? Chad, you want to go first? So the design of the Graboids uh, was initially different. They had kind of a layer of skin that peeled back uh, as they opened their mouths. But the the women during the shoot couldn't stop laughing and giggling and pointing at the, uh, the graboids because it made them look a little phallic in nature. So uh, you didn't like giant underground penis monsters? <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we didn't need Sigmund Freud or any... Uh, any uh, psychology students studying this movie. <laughs> um, John, look for this. Um, well, you know, I, I found it interesting that it was originally given an R rating. Um, and I, I noticed this, you know, watching it as an adult, but it was not because of violence, really. It was because of the F word. And, I, you know, when I was a kid, I thought it was just being edited out because I saw it on TV. 
but apparently they went and dubbed over with other words because I like how much they said Mother Humper. Like, yeah. we got that Mother Humper, and I'm just like, as a kid, I was like, oh, well, it's TV, so they can't say that. But that's they changed it to, uh, for the rating. That's right. Can you fly, sucker? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was sitting there going, like, why would you not phrase that? Can you suckers fly? Like, that seems believable and then you're like oh well they just did a flat out replacement later so yeah um so uh, i'm gonna go with a different one i I told you i'd come back to this one earlier i put a pin in it this is the pin uh the movie actually opened up uh initially on an old man with a donkey getting a bag of carrots from one of his neighbors and thanking him and then taking his donkey to the shed the donkey doesn't want to go into the shed um and so the man forces the donkey to go into the shed and the shed shakes around and then the next thing you know uh the donkey's gone and you see uh graboid right there in the beginning scene and the old man gets his gun and freaks out and it i believe the man has a huge long beard uh i'm not i didn't go back and check it that might be the guy who ends up on the power poles later Uh, and i'm really glad they cut this and they didn't start the movie that way good choice to cut that out i like the way it started much better what what, uh what would your thoughts have been if that had been the opening scene i like the less is more approach with the graboids so yeah i seeing them early would have hurt the tone of this movie a little bit um it does fall in line with horror movie tropes though of showing the monster or showing the villain's power by killing off something random and unimportant to our story so i guess in that respect it would have fit more in the horror genre and that's why they said they did it but then i made a good call to realize uh this is a fun movie let's not do that and uh, let's start with public urination yeah uh john uh, I mean, Chad pr- pretty much kind of n- nailed it on the head. It's like I, I do think the the less is more, particularly with horror movies, is really the the way to go. But um, I I just I also kind of like the lighthearted tone of showing it all, like at, at the beginning, just kick it off with kind of what our tone's going to be throughout most of the movie. So let's go in and ask you guys how this movie affected you. I mean, obviously, it's a fun time. Uh, uh, maybe John and I, I'm detecting John and I might have had a little more fun than Chad, but uh, does this remind you of anything? Are there any characters you gravitate towards? Remind you of any stories in your own life? Uh, Chad, how did this one affect you? Uh, well, it's safe to say I've never been hunted by echolocating earthworms, um, but I did play a lot of The Floor is Lava with my sister and uh, with my friends growing up and We've all done the don't step on the white or black tile, things like that. And again, that's what Tremors feels like to me. It's just one big adult game of the floor is lava. It's fun. You can turn your brain off and enjoy it as long as you don't turn your brain back on at any point in the movie. Just eat your popcorn and enjoy yourself and you'll have a good time. John, how does this one affect you? Uh, Well, as I kind of noted before, it was kind of one of the first movies that was I, going into it, I thought it was just going to be a scary movie. And when I was a kid, movies that scared me, I, I was wary of because they tended to make me not sleep well. But uh, it was one that I remember watching specifically with my brother. 
And uh, we just had so much fun with it. And I would look for it on TV anytime I saw it to uh, record it, which we did eventually. And so we could watch it anytime we wanted. I want to, this is a bit of a stretch, but it just reminds me of a time when I went on a camping trip. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of scouts there. It was a Boy Scout camp and a lot of people were there. And so you're in a contained area and we're in Pocahontas County, West Virginia. And there's, there's, there's not a lot of ways in and out. And uh, we didn't have worms, but what we did have was, uh, you know, somebody started getting sick and then like, they'd be like, you know, horrendous diarrhea and vomiting and all that stuff. And then like another person got it and then it was like, oh man, you gave it to that guy. And then, then another person got it. And then the next day, like a lot of people had it. And then the next day, so I was pretty fortunate and I was avoiding a lot of these things. So I kind of felt like Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward, like, like driving around town by at least like, well, this guy's got it and this guy's got it. But eventually it got me too. And, um, turned out the, uh, the, the drinking water there had been contaminated and a, a lagoon had slipped in or, uh, uh, contaminated the well and so everybody in the entire camp got sick that week uh, i don't know why i made it another day or uh later than most people did but uh it was a long hard summer week for everybody so uh but just being in a contained environment not knowing what this thing is and everybody around you is starting to fall and like you're just kind of like you're like you're washing your hands a ton of times when ironically that's the worst thing you should do so i don't know that's that's what watching this movie kind of took me to Okay, fair enough. Um, so, movie superlative time. It's my favorite time. MVP, Chad. For me, it's Michael Gross. I mean, he later becomes the star of the Tremors franchise. But here, he's he's just eccentric. He's fun. Um, a lot of his humor comes off. You're, you're laughing at how serious he is about the ridiculous things that he's doing. Uh, I do think he's he's best used as not the lead, but uh, having other characters around him that, for him to play off of. But yeah, he's my MVP. Have you done the Tremors sequels, Chad? I did. I watched uh, Tremors one, two, and three back to back to back to make sure you know am I missing something here? Um, yeah, yeah. Tremors three was a rough ride. He it is. is uh, he's he's the lead, and he shouldn't be. Uh, but he's Tremors the lead. Two in, was fun. He's the lead in four, and he should be. I just can't. <laughs> I, I insist. Um, John, uh, MVP. Uh, th- this one was tough, and I was tempted to go the same road with Chad, but uh, I, I think I've actually got to give it to Kevin Bacon. Um, I just think he plays the role that he has so well. Uh, he's, a li- I'm not going to say dim-witted, but just not the sharpest tool in the shed, but he's very lovable, uh, funny, and just his character and how he is with our girl, you know, the girl in it, and how we've already talked about what he's, like, looking for. It's just so stereotypical of, like, a young man. Like, it's all those stereotypes you you think of. Um, I'm also going to go with Kevin Bacon, and I just thought he he nailed the uh exaggerated version of this you know rural hick who you know is good and good natured and uh exagger again if his performance hadn't been exaggerated then this movie would have fallen on his face so it hit the right tone and his performance probably better than anybody 
and got made sure that it hit the right tone. So I don't know what he's crying about because it turned out pretty good. Yeah. Uh, best supporting actor, Chad. Uh, going back to the Gummer family, I'm going with Reba McIntyre. Uh, we've already covered that it was her first film, but she just does an outstanding job. She comes across as just a believable gun-toting Annie Oakley-style character. She's entirely capable on her own. She looks uh, hilarious, too, carrying those giant guns around. She's not a big lady, so I just, like, you know, <laughs> having all this firepower with this, like, you know, fiery, feisty, you know, good-natured, sunshiny, you know, lady with a smile, but uh, she's also packing. <laughs> Yeah, and that accent came mostly naturally to her. Yeah, that's that's her. John, best supporting actor. Well, I'm I'm actually taking Chad's MVP. I I got to go with Michael Gross's Bert. Uh, just from everything Chad basically said, but I just kind of I guess more considered him a, a supporting. No, and you're right. I I'm going to split the difference here, and uh, I actually don't generally do this, but I. Went to give it to Michael Gross, and you cannot give it to him in this movie without also giving it to Reba McIntyre. It's the two of them together. It's it's him being ridiculous and her telling him, like, oh, Bert, you're crazy. Do this other ridiculously crazy thing instead. Or, like, which gun should I use? Use that, use that ridiculously overkill, like, automatic rifle. And, like, oh, that's the voice of reason? So it's a really good dynamic. And like what Chad said in the third one, um, it's just Michael Gross by himself and he's not as good on his own. Um, the fourth movie changes that up a little bit, but, uh, they're much better together. So it's kind of a co best supporting actor for me. So it's a good I, call. Uh, I'm, hidden gem. Well, I, if I can go back, I, I'd like to do both of them too. Just <laughs> a little thing. <laughs> That's if allowed. we're allowed to do that. Then, That's yes, allowed. That, that a couple. And I'd be actually tempted to MVP to have Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward. It's uh, their chemistry is pretty great. Oh, now he's getting real generous. Oh, this is anarchy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. While, while you're at it, do you want to give uh, you know, uh, you know, the shoot? Let's uh, give MVP to everyone. Yeah. Except, no, no, no. Except uh, Ariana Richards, you get an MVP. Finn no, Carter, you get an uh, MVP. <laughs> Jacoby, he does not get one. He gets to leave. Bobby Jacoby. No. I think we might have a tip on the the recast. Okay, okay. Hidden gem, uh, Chad. Who's your who's the undersung hero here? Uh, it's Tony uh, Gennaro, uh, Gennaro, who plays Miguel. Um, I honestly can't remember any of his lines, but I just remember liking every single time I saw Miguel on screen. He just he was just this happy guy, and uh, even when on on the roof, he adds um, just kind of humor to the situations. John, Hidden Gem. Uh, well, for me, I don't know if it would be a, a gem at the time, but I really like Victor Wong. Uh, I I just remembered him from, because of a film I also loved as a kid, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. And I knew him as that, and I just thought he was kind of this goofy guy that was entrepreneuring everything he could, including little snake monsters. I, I don't remember him as Mr. Tanaka from the... The classic three ninja movies. Oh, there's that. Oh, yeah. That's a good throwback. <laughs> those were so horrible. Please. Are I mean, they? if you go back. Uh, yeah, sure. Do those for one of your episodes. Uh, <laughs> I, I have good memories, to be honest with you. Oh, you will be so sad. Oh, no. 
And I'm now now I'm afraid to go back and do it again. I have good memories though. So uh, um, anyway, uh, my my hidden gem was taken a hundred percent by John. He said everything I was gonna say right down to little big trouble in little China, and uh, he's just so eccentric. I like him. I I don't know. He he brings life to I, all the lines he gets. I was sad that he got eaten by a graboid. I, I that that one did hit me. I was like, no, not him. Eat somebody else. So. Um, recast. You get one character, and you have to recast somebody. Who's it going to be, Chad? Man, this was such a strong cast. I know I I picked on uh, the Melvin Plug character, but we'll we'll come back to that. We'll circle back to that. Uh, I think I may recast Finn Carter though, and it's not her fault. I I just feel like what's being described doesn't match who she is. Um, she's beautiful. Uh, I. I would go with someone that could be a little more awkward um, or a little bit more mousy looking. Um, Maybe, and I'm sure we'll get hate mail for this, but maybe like a Sigourney Weaver style. Um, She can, she can be a little bit more awkward looking or a little more rough looking. She'd be taller than Kevin Bacon probably, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Everyone's taller than Kevin Bacon. Well, she's super tall though. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. John, well, uh, I wait, 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 wait. So you, you said you went Sigourney Weaver. That's your, that's your suggested recast. Yeah. And she's, she's five eleven and three quarters. You're right. She is very tall. Yeah, she is. She's a big lady. Uh, John, sorry. I didn't mean to, I, I forgot that Chad didn't get his recast and, uh, go ahead. I, uh, would go with R- Richard Marcus actually who played Nestor. And I think part of this is just because he reminds me of this actor. I, and I would recast, uh, James Reborn, uh, in that role, who is, you'd probably know him from uh, Independence Day, Meet the Parents, My Cousin Vinny, very quality character actor, but I think he really looks that role and could have done something more with it. Interesting. Was he the the crazy guy that flew the plane in the end of Independence Day? No, he's the jerk Secretary of State. Oh. Uh, And in Meet the Parents, he's the other dad uh, that's the fiancé's dad. And uh, my cousin Vinny, he's like one of the expert witnesses. It's a good oh, character. And he was in Homeland yeah. as well. It, yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, now I now I know who you're talking about. Good call. Yeah, he's the one that didn't tell the president in Independence Day, but that he knew about the aliens. I was flipping day. through IMDb to try and be able to say something about him, but now now I'd I know say if you look at him, you'll know what I'm saying. You got him on my cousin Vinny, then. Uh, yeah. All right. So uh, my recast, uh, I am gonna go for Bobby Jacoby. Uh, he is from the Wonder Years, uh, but uh, he did not do a good job on this. I, I, he pulled me out of it, and in a movie that everybody else was so good, um, I, I almost went with what Chad was saying. I, I didn't think there was anything at all wrong with Finn Carter's performance. She just didn't look the part, and I think wardrobe could have helped her get there more. So that's more on wardrobe uh, for not making for leaving her too pretty, but. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Bobby Jacoby because he was, I know he's supposed to be annoying, but he's bad at acting and he's annoying. <laughs> that's like double annoying. So um, to play a brat, uh, you know, kind of a unbehaved kid, I'm going to go with uh, Seth Green on this one. And he would be coming off of, and at this age, he'd be coming off of like my stepmother is an alien and just before uh, the movie It or Pump Up the Volume. So that's about the age he would have been for this. So he would have been about the right time to be in this. So 
Seth Green, yes, no. Is that a good one? I like yeah. it. Yeah, no, that, that's good. You I mean you don't like you know quotes of like "Way to go, dude"? <laughs> <sighs> Again, I like I love the one he is, and I want to like him for this, but it's this is not his best moment. <laughs> maybe no. maybe these kids' parents. I mean, did they hate him so much that they just dropped him off? There's no one else with a name plug in this town. Where were his parents? Oh, that's a great point. No, I, I, I've wondered that since I was younger. It's like does. Is anyone his family here? Like, what's this yeah. kid doing in town? I like Chad's like, theory of, like, he was just a really bad acting, terrible, annoying kid, so his parents just drove him out to perfection and then drove off. <laughs> Who do you belong to? <laughs> is, is he Joe Dirt? <laughs> Left at the Grand Canyon? All right. Best shot. What is your best directorial moment, Chad? For me, I think it's the opening scene. Um, it's, it's sweeping. It shows you the vastness of Nevada, that they're out in the middle of nowhere, but it's also including our characters. It's establishing who they are, that this is not going to be a serious movie, um, that they're just kind of two regular guys, but out in the middle of nowhere, it just sets the tone right away. They do get off to a good start. We talked about that. Uh, John, best shot. You know, this might be a little bit off the beaten path, but actually it's when um, a recast Nestor got uh, got sucked underground uh, and then the camera uh, has to kind of move along very quickly and we hear him yelling. It's like, I, I don't know, that that's probably one of the scarier moments of how quickly and easily this thing takes you down and then how horrific it would be to be moving under the ground that quickly. Yeah, oh, yeah like the jackhammer. Uh, and the construction crew when it gets dragged along, that was pretty cool too. Yeah, I would say it was kind of between those two, really. That was that was my runner-up as well. I'm glad you brought it up. But my best shot is going to be uh, when Valentine just finishes helping Rhonda escape from the barbed wire uh, by helping her remove her pants, which was funny. Uh, and then the uh, graboid is chasing them, so they run back onto the general store porch, and so the camera's just positioned in a really nice low-angle manner. And so the actors are running at the camera, and the graboid's coming from behind them, and you see the uh, kicked-up dust, and then you see the floorboards pop up one at a time in, a, in like a wave motion. And uh, again, it's a goofy, funny movie. You don't ask for this kind of shot, but it's actually an inspired uh, angle and shot. So uh, it's in the trailer for good reason. It's a good-looking, it's a good-looking moment for them. So that's my best shot. Um, Chad, best scene. The best scene for me is uh, the basement armory of the Gummers with the wall of weapons. Uh, it's just a great fun time where they're just grabbing new weapons, Reba McIntyre's dual wielding pistols. It's ridiculous. It's fun. It's action filled. It's it's just this is Tremors. Uh, if there's one scene to show someone, this is it. John, best scene. You know, I, I have to go again with Chad on this one. Uh, it's just a, a really fun scene and qu quite over the top. It just, it slowly backs up after when they first run out of ammo and you realize how many guns they really have. But it's just, it's aged so well with time too, though, because when I was younger, I wouldn't have known this, but the, the technique they're using when wielding these guns is not proper at all. You know, th this elephant gun is really an eight, eight gauge shotgun, which would have the kick of, you know, a, a strong horse at least. And he's holding it under his armpit, 
Uh, they're holding a lot of the guns under their armpit. It's a nice way to throw your shoulder out of your socket. <laughs> but it just really adds the, to the campiness of the movie. I It's going to be a clean sweep here. Sometimes I like to just pick something to be different, but not this time. It, this is definitely my favorite scene in the movie, too. Uh, with how much I love uh, Bert and Heather, it's just... Uh, it, it, this is hilarious. Again, Reba's this little feisty woman. She got her like fluffy bangs coming out, and you know, like they're just like unleashing a mountain load of lead into this creature. And it seems like total overkill, and maybe it even is, but they don't care. Like they they live for this moment. They they want to be invaded, and so um, it's just it's great to see Bert and his serious face and Reba like like you know, like all guns blazing. So I I 100% agree with both of you guys on that scene in the movie. Um you're uh you're the director. I you get to make one change. What do you do if you're um Ron Underwood? Check. Yeah, I think I've I've telegraphed this move uh throughout this podcast, but I am eliminating Melvin Plug as a character. Uh he's just this annoying trope uh during this era they keep adding annoying kids teenagers to movies just for the sake of them being annoying he serves no purpose in the movie you kind of hope he's going to die you just keep hoping that you know he's bouncing the basketball and just a graboid gets him but no no this guy lives and he not only lives through this movie he reappears in sequels to annoy you yeah we need to bring him back (laughs) yeah just Who's getting excited for this character to return? Can we please just go back and either eliminate him or kill him just to give me a little bit of satisfaction? <laughs> John, change one thing. Well, the, the only thing I, I can really think of is I, I kind of thought maybe it would help the maybe some of the plot along, but maybe unnecessary to actually meet the, the, the town drunk before we see him dead. Uh, just to give us some substance of like what we're dealing with. Okay, that's a good call. I've got a I've got a little itty bitty thing that I want to add, uh, and then I've got a we've already said it. So uh, the we already said a thing is I would have made um, Rhonda's character a little more nerdy. Uh, you know, you can stay cute, but I thought uh, she just wasn't she wasn't uh, nerdy enough, uh, too pretty. And then, so I thought it would be funny though. And my change one thing would be, I thought it'd be funny if after running, uh, which was my best shot where they run from outside and, uh, Valentine helps Rhonda out of her pants to get out of the tangled barbed wire. They run into the store and they have a serious conversation. Uh, what happens is they give her a pair of shoes and pants and she just takes them and, you know, puts them on. But, I thought it would be funny if in a break of the action, she's sitting there, she catches her breath, she has a conversation, and then midway through the conversation, just like, you know, she she has like this come down to earth moment and then realizes she's standing in her panties in front of these men and like, like, you know, puts her arms over herself and like, you know, gets embarrassed. And I just thought that would be a fun moment of like, uh, you know, when the adrenaline starts to die down kind of moment. So, um, yes, no. Yeah. Is this a bad yeah, idea? Yeah, no, I, I, I would never have thought of that. That's a neat idea. It, it bothered me they immediately had her size. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's wearing pretty baggy pants throughout the movie, but... Um, uh, yeah. It's 1990, man. <laughs> it, is ni- it is 1990, yep. Uh, best quote, Chad. So, Bert Gummer appears here uh, when he's making the pipe 
pipe bombs. What kind of fuse is that? Cannon fuse. What the hell you use that for? My cannon. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> um, John, best quote. So surprisingly, I, I have to go with Bert, Bert Gummer here. And uh, just to follow up my, my favorite scene, uh, and that's to, broke into the raw goddamn rec room, didn't you, bastard? Like, <laughs> it's just like, that's your rec room. It's like, I would never have classified that as my rec room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually a really that is, good point. Yeah. I, I, I agree. That is That might have been mine for diversity's sake. I have a runner-up, and I'll go ahead and present it now. But, yeah, you, you kind of took mine there. But uh, I, I'm going to go to Burt Gummer again. And uh, I wouldn't give you a gun if it were World War III, as he uh, refuses <laughs> to give Melvin uh, a gun. So, <laughs> And then later he gives him a gun, and it's empty. Yeah, I was kind of hoping it wouldn't be, and he'd shoot himself. <laughs> and he's like, got you moving, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Chad, before we rate the movie, is there anything you'd like to plug? So normally I plug a movie I've really enjoyed, uh, but with the upcoming election, I'd like to urge you guys to get out there and vote. So whether you're a Democrat, Republican, somewhere in between, it doesn't matter. It's essential you go out and make your voice heard. And remember, kids... You can only complain about politics on social media if you voted. It's a rule they check. Now you know, and knowing's half the battle. <laughs> Thanks, Chad. That is a good message. Um, it is. Uh, rating and recommendation time, though. Chad, what do you give this movie on a five-star scale, and does it hold up? I'm giving it a two-and-a-half-star rating. Oh! Uh, I know. Oh. I- I feel like the stick in the mud here. I'm sorry. It's still fun. It It's a dumb film. Uh, my complaints are it just doesn't know what it wants to be. Does it really want to be funny or does it want to be a little scarier? It never really succeeds in either. I actually felt like Tremors 2 does a better job in understanding what it is and why people see those types of movies. So it's it's a more funny tone. Um, but again, it it's a fun time as long as you keep telling yourself this is a dumb movie you can still enjoy it um but this isn't even in in my top five movies with giant worms in them john i have a javelin in my chest right now i think you 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 better take this go ahead i i uh i i have to give it a solid 4.5 uh it's I guess kind of, you know, near to near and dear to my heart because it was really in my first memory of like having a fun kind of horror movie. And uh, it's just I like the campiness and it's being over the top. It's uh, not a perfect movie, but I I do love it. John, can you pull the javelin out of my chest before I give my rating? I, 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 I can try. It's pretty deep in there. It's, it, it's I see it oh. out your back. Oh, man. Oh. Wow. I had, to pull I, it, I had to pull it through the back, actually. He did. He did. Man. Okay. I even dangled a top five list out there for you to ease your pain. I'm coming back to that. <laughs> Don't steal my thunder. Uh, <laughs> my rating my rating and review here, though, is going to be... Uh, I'm going to give this a 4.5 like John. I came in thinking four, and like in my mind I had told... This just gets better every time. And um, it's one of those ones that... I haven't been watching it since 1990 like you guys have. So uh, to me, I got to it later. And um, maybe these sequels have told me more what it is. And I, I really enjoy this movie. It just puts me in a feel-good mood. It's It's got that Ghostbusters kind of vibe for me. Um, so 
that's high praise, but uh, does it hold up? I'd say absolutely yes. If anything, some of the cheesy aspects of the time make it even better now. And so um, it's just 100% fun. So, uh, Chad. And on that, the, the, the effects still hold up with the Graboids. Like, they do. Very much. Definitely. They, so, Chad, uh, before we go out, uh, tell me your top five. Worm movies. <laughs> have, to ex- have to explain myself with the giant worms. So I'm going number five, Men in Black 2 with Jeff in the subway tunnel. Uh, number four, I'm going with Slither, Michael Rooker, James Gunn. Uh, John's already hit on my number three with the sandworms from Dune. Uh, number two, Beetlejuice. I, 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 I figured that might have a shot of coming in. But yeah, go on. What's your number one? Number one. Empire Strikes Back with the Giant Space Slug. Oh, that's a stretch. This is the part where I annoy John and Russell. Oh. <laughs> he, he couldn't get to five, and he took it all the way up to number one. <laughs> John? I could have, could have included Freddy Krueger, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. See, I've got, I've got more. John, next time, it's going to be Veterans Day, and I think it's time to get patriotic. Get your red, white, and blue out, because I got three... Uh, Military movies for you. You ready? I'm always ready for some military movies. Uh, option one, Black Hawk Down. 2001, 160 elite U.S. soldiers drop into Somalia to capture two top lieutenants of a, a renegade warlord and to find themselves a desperate... Oh, sorry. They find themselves in a desperate battle with a large force of heavily armed Somalians. Option two, Jarhead. 2005, a psychological study of Operations Desert Shield uh, and Desert Storm during the Gulf War. Uh, through the eyes of a U.S. Marine sniper who struggles to cope with the possibility of his girlfriend may be cheating on him back home. What's she up to? Uh, option three, We Were Soldiers, 2002. A story of first major battle of American phase of Vietnam War. The soldiers on both sides that fought it. While their wives wait nervously at home, anxiety at home for the good news and the bad news. So, you got... Uh, you got everything went wrong in uh, Black Hawk Down. You got a wife at home might be doing them wrong in Jarhead. And then you got some wives at home worrying well, whether something's going wrong. And we were soldiers. What's it going to be, John? Ooh, uh, some some tough picks. Uh, I think I'd like to see something where we see a little bit more fighting. So I, I think it'd, I'd have to take out Jarhead. Um, but, you know, I I think it'd be nice to revisit Black Hawk Down. Black Hawk Down it is. Good luck on the casting rundown on that one. Um, oh. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> farewell, think of that. farewell, everybody. Thank you for coming to the show. But I want to thank Chad. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you know, last week was a short notice. Uh, you were an emergency. Uh, you know, we called you when things got serious in the mist, and you came through for us there. So we really thank you, uh, you know, the viewers are going to get a couple more fresh takes from some other hosts, uh, but thank you so much for being our October guide. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Chad. Been a great time. Thank you, guys. And to all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Roundtable, we invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast. Give us a like on Facebook. Email us at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. We want to hear from you. What did you think of Tremors? Are you with Chad and you want to put another javelin in my heart? I hope not. Anyway, <laughs> as always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. John?
Here's Johnny.